I was going to say you prayed too long, but I don't think that's possible. So uh, that's a good thing. We don't want to worry about that. But we're in Job 23, so we got to talk, talk fast and listen fast tonight and get through this. Uh, it is a shorter chapter, so <coughs> that maybe works out well. Um, we, uh, I'm, I'm really sticking to the chapter per night. I don't want to, I don't want to have uh, be doing doing Job forever. It's a, it has been a, it's a lot of learning in it though. But in Job 23, Job picks up again. He's responding to Eliphaz this time, and uh, there's two chapters in his response. We're going to split them up, but 23 and 24. Uh, he he does not. He begins here. We've been talking about how they. They start out in their responses and attacks and criticizing each other. Job's given that up. They don't even listen anyway. Nobody's caught it. I mean, they've been going, picking at each other. But here he doesn't even criticize them. It's a waste of time thinking they'll listen anyway. <clears throat> so he simply focuses on the severity of his suffering and then the situation of the sinner. That's the two splits here in his answer. In his response, we're going to see the case for the sufferer. That is chapter 23 tonight. And then the case for the sinner, uh, chapter 24, uh, that'll be next week. But let's look at uh, suffering as we start out here. I, I want to read some verses and then we'll pick them up as we go through. Verse 1, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Now, this is interesting. Most of us dread going to the courthouse of God, the judge, don't we? I mean, think about that. Boy, how would I fare there? He is wanting to get there. And it shows the integrity of his heart and his life because he, he's been told here for 22 chapters how just wicked he is. And he's saying, if I could get into court with God, if I could... Order my cause before him. Or in other words, argue my case. Uh, I know what he'd say because I know my heart. And uh, what an what a, a integrity we've got there. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time. I pray you'd help us as we quickly go through these verses to learn something and pick something up to be a help to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's very difficult to understand why God permits suffering in our lives, especially during the suffering when it's going on. Our, our humanity wants to cry out, why me? Have you ever been there before? What have I done to deserve this? I mean, you, we can always find others that deserve it more. Um, and I, I, we've got our list of things. I go to church. I do this. I do that. I haven't murdered anybody. You know, why is this happening to me? One reason for the, the affliction and the trouble and the suffering in our lives is to make us into instruments that are of greater use to God. Don't forget, Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good. We love that verse. The next verse says why all these things work together for good, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. That is what He's trying to do and build us and shape us. So, I'll give you an example. A lump of iron ore is violently ripped from its comfortable place in the earth. It is shipped to a place far away. It's exposed to intense heat until it is melted and then poured into a mold. It is squeezed by rollers. It is smashed and pounded by a forge. Uh, it is subjected to electric shock to bond other metals to it. It is scraped against grindstones and then given its final shape. Now, whatever it is, 
the screwdriver or the beautiful piece of silverware, tableware, whatever it is, would never have existed without all that mangling and shaping and heat and all these different things happening to it. So if it weren't for the difficult experiences uh, along the way, then we'd never have the beautiful end. And that's what we are. So Job's suffering has been maliciously attacked by Job's three friends. And so he's been trying to give a different view for his suffering, not only in, not only in this one, but in the last response as well. He wants to try to give a different picture of the suffering and what happens to wicked people. Again, to remind you, the three friends uh, are all with the same presupposition. If you suffer, it means you sin. If, you are do, if things are going well for you, that means that you've been doing good. So, now, we know if we've been alive longer than five minutes, that's not true. A lot of people suffer. Many of them are the afflictions of the righteous. And a lot of really wicked people do really well on earth. Okay, So, Joe, that's what Joe's been trying to bring out. Uh, the, the success of the wicked around him while he's going through his hard time. Uh, here, look at the pain of the sufferer. Look at verse number 2. Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. The severity here of his pain and his suffering is seen that he said it's greater than my groaning. I, I had to chuckle when I saw that because that's not typically the case. Usually our groaning is more than our pain. I don't know about you. Now, in every instance except the man cold, that's real. Okay, I've had it. And scientifically uh, proven that men get colds far worse than women's. And so whatever suffering we do, we cannot overstate it. So exception of the man cold, uh, we often go far more complaining than what we actually uh, have going on. But Job said here, the pain in my suffering and all this is, is greater than my groaning. So it's even worse than the things I'm saying in the all the complaining he's doing, he's saying the pain's even worse. Now, people usually exaggerate their sufferings, but Job didn't do that. He groaned less than his pain. It's a good reminder for us not to overburden people with every little problem we have. You know, you know people like that. And uh, you know those people because you typically avoid them. Let's just be honest, right? Uh, those that just like to overburden you with every... Uh, I, call, I always call them uh, the... Uh, a trash trash can people. You know, I'm the trash can, and they're putting all their trash into the can. They're just piling all of it in there. Um, we we don't want to be that type of person. Okay. Then the pursuit of the sufferer. Job pursued God. It is common in suffering that God does not seem to be very near. In fact, God seemed indifferent to Job's cries. Have you ever been there? In a really difficult position, and it seems like God is a million miles away. It seems like you pray and the prayers just bounce right back down off the ceiling. You just can't reach Him and He seems so far away. But in spite of God seeming to be far off and disinterested, Job still pursues God. Look at verse number 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him. Here, this is an expression of a great desire to find God and to have Him close. By the way, this is rare. People do not tend to expend much energy and desire trying to get God's power in their life and the nearness of God. They're more uh, concerned about the things of the world. But Job had a great longing for God. It is a longing all of us should have. Look at verse number 4. 
uh, well, the rest of number three, oh, that I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth <coughs> with arguments. Job wanted divine vindication. Can you blame him? He, he knows he's done nothing wicked. I mean, he knows he's a sinner. All right, we're all sinners, amen. Uh, but he knows he's a sinner, but he knows he's not done some great wickedness to bring all this on. And But he's been hearing about it for 22 chapters, just how much he has. And so, uh, he wants vindication. This, is, this cry of his is a cry for justice. He's been tortured by this strange mystery of God's providence. Now, that's all fancy language of us saying he can't understand why this is happening to him. That's what he's been asking. Uh, <laughs> we, we like to know why, don't we? I mean, when something bad happens, isn't it nice to know why? If we know what we're suffering for, it makes it a whole lot easier. Now, we might not agree with it, uh, but it makes it a lot easier. Uh, but to make matters worse, he takes a look at himself, who he knows is innocent of any great wickedness, and then he looks at the world around him. And we saw this in chapter 20, uh, 21, uh, where he sees wrong undealt with. He sees uh, evil unpunished. He sees innocence crushed under the heel of oppression. He sees wickedness flourish and righteousness squander. He does not see the evidence of God's control in the world, so he keeps coming back to his problems. And he knows his own innocence, yet, uh, he, yet as he suffers, he feels like God's been unjust to him. And he wants it explained. We, we would like to have it explained when we suffer and go through these things. And he would like to argue the case. He's ready to be his own lawyer. Man, if I could get an audience with him, I'd get in there and I would argue my case. I've got my opening statement ready. I've got my cross-examination ready. And I've got my closing statement ready. He's ready to go uh, standing before God. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He feels God's very presence is present, but ever eluding him at the same time. Look at verse number 8. <clears throat> Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. <laughs> Have you ever been there? I just can't find God. We, we, that This is, by the way, this is his suffering talking. It's his bad, bad time he's going through. It's bad enough to be suffering, but it's all the worse if we don't know why. If we don't have a good reason for it. In 1994, Ken Wynimko was locked away for a crime he did not commit. It always saddens me when I hear about those things. He was convicted by a jury for a horrible crime against a girl. He had done nothing wrong at all, but now he had seven counts of sexual misdemeanor charges against him, and he got 60 years in prison, and he had never done anything uh, to this girl. He was, it was a case of mistaken identity and a jailhouse snitch that gave false accusation. Uh, and so he went to prison for it. He was sentenced to, well, 40 to 60 years in prison. Uh, Ten years later, DNA testing showed that he could not have been the man that committed the crime, and thankfully he was released from prison at that time. But they talked to him about it before, and I saw some of his testimony after this. And uh, did he feel like what happened to him wasn't fair? Yeah, absolutely. But here, and I found this interesting. Here was one of the here, here was the worst thing that he had to deal with. I'm suffering in prison, and the guy who really did it is running around free. That was the hardest thing for him to deal with. Because it was an unresolved suffering. And he, he, it was undeserved. 
he, he had no... But the one who really deserved the suffering is all scot-free, living it up, and which they didn't know who it was at that time. But that's, that's really hard to suffer, isn't it? That's hard to suffer when you know you didn't do anything wrong and the one who did is out there running around scot-free. When more deserving people than you are, that you feel, I mean, we all can pick more deserving people to suffer than us, right? And, and we know that, that uh, man, I've done all this for the Lord, I've been faithful, I've done this and I've done that, done this, and I shouldn't be suffering and, and uh, yet it's happening to me. Job wanted to have God hear his case and he believed that God would vindicate him if he did hear it. This is a sign of integrity. Not too many of us would ask for our day in court with God. Paul called it the terror, knowing this, the terror of the Lord when he was talking about the judgment seat of Christ. So he wasn't necessarily looking forward to it. And if the Apostle Paul calls it terror, what about me and you, amen? So, well, me anyway. You probably are in good shape. Uh, they know that God, he knows that God would not condemn him, but he would vindicate him. Now look at verses 5 and 7. Or 5 through 7. I would know the words that he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Will he plead against me? No, he'll put strength in me. What confidence. Have you ever heard the terminology right makes might? Uh, you can have confidence if you're in the right. You can have confidence that your conscience is clear. And his was. He had, he had searched that. He knew that he hadn't done anything. By the way, he was right. Remember, Job was suffering all he was going through for his righteousness, not his sin. So he was right about that. He just didn't understand. He didn't have that little scene we have of Satan and God talking. And so that this was, uh, that, that's not something he understood at that point. Uh, so they know, uh, most people would know that God would condemn them so they would not ask for that day. That, uh, what really matters, by the way, and I think this is interesting, Job is, it, it seems like in chapter 23 here, is, you know what, you knuckleheads to his three friends, I don't even care what you think anymore. So he knows what they think. They've all had two passes at him. And uh, he's, he's, you know what, if I stood before God, he would vindicate me. He would, he would strengthen me. So you idiots are sitting here beating on me and kicking me while I'm down. But if I stood... And you know what Job is really doing here, and I think it's a good thing for all of us, he is valuing God's opinion of himself as far greater importance than what these jokers thought about that were there. And it's, it is more, more important because what people around you think of you, that's all fine and dandy, that should be good, right? We want a good name as a greater to be, uh, rather be chosen than great riches. It's good to have a good name. But it's not as important as what God says about you. Amen? So uh, this is what Job says, and, and I think it's interesting. He finally gives up trying to get them to say he's good. He just says, you know what? If I stood before him, that's what really matters, and he would strengthen me. He would not plead against me. Then there is disappointment, though. Look at verse number 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward I cannot perceive him. Uh, look at verse 9, um, on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Uh, he speaks of that frustration of not being able to see God. Uh, he didn't stop believing the existence of God. <coughs> he did not deny that there was a God. Uh, so often when we're in pain, that distance seems great. We feel far removed. 
from God. But even though the clouds might hide God, they do not eliminate Him. Amen? He's still there. He still cares. We need to know that even when it seems like He is far from us, that will help us to understand that. Uh, Look at verse number 10. He knoweth the way that I take. When He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's, of course, a verse we've heard. Ron Hamilton's made a song about it. We know that. And we've, we've, uh, it's a very familiar verse that we have out of Job. Uh, and I love it. It's, it's some really key things in here. He could not understand the way God was dealing with him. He was confused about why all this has happened. But even though Job did not know the way of the Lord, he said, the Lord knows my way. that good? I might not know His way. I don't understand what He's doing. I don't know why He's allowing it. But I do know this. He knows the way that I take. Oh, that's powerful stuff right there. God knows where you are. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're dealing with. And He knows the pain that you're going through. And uh, Job, that comforted him. Uh, He knows the path. He knows that when the path is darkest and roughest, He knows the way that we take when we hardly know it ourselves. He knows where it leads. That's a big one. See, we don't. We don't. We just have a, we can see a little bit down the road. The, the, uh, the idea is found in Psalm 119.111 when it says, uh, uh, Thy word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. You have a lamp on your feet. The way that that picture's there is, you know, it lights your next step. I can't even see the back wall if it's dark. I can see right here the next step, and that's sometimes all we've got is just what the Lord wants us to do next. But He knows the end, see. He knows the way that I take. That includes where I'm going to end up. Why not put your trust in someone who sees the end, the beginning, the, the present, the past, the future? Why don't you just trust Him? Okay, Let Him lead you. See, we, we want to make the decisions, and we're, we are absent of all that knowledge. It's foolishness, really. I love this idea. He knows the way that I take. Uh, Because God knew his way, Job turns from his unfeeling friends and he basically appeals to God himself. Uh, The friends have no idea. They've long since uh, given up on him and they're just uh, trying to make themselves look better. So uh, this is uh, God... God, Job knows that God would defend him. And by the way, he doesn't know it, but God did defend him to no one other than Satan himself. Amen. He doesn't know that, but that was what happened. Look at verse number 11. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of my lips. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's basically giving his testimony here. Hey, I haven't stepped off the path. I've been doing right. He's basically saying about the same thing as Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 7, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And both Paul and Job and Paul are dependable. They were faithful to God. They did not compromise when the world brought all kinds of trouble on them. They stood true in the face of, of adversity. Look at verse number 12. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There's another uh, well-used verse that we have. This is one of Job's great statements of his devotion to God and His Word. Job valued God's Word more than his food. I think it's necessary. I th- I'm interesting. <laughs> he says necessary. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, is the word necessary? Yes. But the world sees the necessary food, the 
physical food as uh, far more important. Uh, years ago, one of my, <coughs> one of my, uh, I think it was a professor in school or one of the preachers there, but uh, he encouraged uh, us to uh, read before you eat. All right, do your devotions, get into the Word, have your quiet time with God before you put physical food in your mouth uh, in the morning. And that's a great way to make sure that happens. So good, it's a good ha- habit, good practice. Before I eat physically, I'm going to eat spiritually. They'll help us, okay? Both of them are necessary. How much would you accomplish in your life if you ate once a week or once every two weeks? And yet I have people in my office almost, not daily, but at least weekly, who are anemic spiritually. They are battling things and they cannot figure out why they can't overcome depression. They can't overcome the sin in their life. They can't uh, have any kind of victory. And you find out that spiritually, they eat like every two weeks. Every three weeks. Hardly ever come to church. And you, and, and you try to tell them, look, you're not going to be healthy spiritually if you don't eat. you got to eat. Amen? And so, and by the way, uh, spiritually, you oughtn't be a vegetarian in real life or spiritually. The Bible talks about the meat of the Word. Amen? So we're not vegetarian spiritually or physically. Amen? All right. Let's uh, keep going here. Verses 13 and 14. And i got to shut her down here. But uh, he talks about, we, we see providence here in verses 13 and 14. Uh, I'll count as I go. But he is in one mind, and who can turn him and what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him, him. six times. Uh, God's mentioned in these two verses. It, 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 the sovereign one is God. He's in control of things, and He allows these things to come into our life. All right, so let us not get bitter. Uh, here, here, uh, and I'll close on this note here. Um, I think the best, uh, the best, <coughs> excuse me, definition of bitterness that I've ever heard as a preacher, and I've used it many times, is an unresolved violation of our justice system. Um, when we are little children, very little, even babies in the nursery, we begin to develop our justice system. We have a treme- kids have a tremendous justice system. When something is not fair, they'll tell you, because everything's got to be fair. And how many times have you as a parent told your kid this line? Hey, Junior, life's not fair. And they're shocked. Life should be fair. Well, we all have a justice system, and we all have it violated on occasion. Uh, Things happen to violate our justice system, where something happens where it's not fair. When's the last time something happened to you, and it was grossly unfair? You were fired for somebody else's mistake, or you uh, had to pay for somebody else's mistake, or whatever it was, you uh, had to suffer in some way, and it was an unfair thing. Well, here's what happens. If that unfairness is... uh, We all have violations to our justice system. That's not bitterness. Bitterness is an unresolved violation to your justice system. So something happens to you and you do not some way resolve it. You don't fix it with the person that did it to you. You don't don't let it go between you and God. You don't allow it to be purged from your system or whatever you allow it to build and foster and fester inside you and it remains unresolved and it will turn into the bitter 
gall of bitterness. And this is what Job, he's dealing with here in chapter 23, and that's why it's important for him not only to be in the complaint mode and not only to talk about all the things that are happening, he doesn't understand, but he allows his the violation to his, his uh, justice system, he allows it to be resolved in God. He says, he knows the way that I take. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to let him have it. You see what that does? And now it allows that, that bitterness not to take root. If you allow, because we all have the violations, we just can't let them remain unresolved. And that's what will help us as we go forward. Like Job, you got to come to the point, I don't get it. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. But he knows the way I take. I don't know his way, but he knows my way. Isn't that a good thing? It's a blessing. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage. I pray you'd help us this evening as we go.